0: Welcome to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast, brought to you by CoreLogic, produced by Agents TV for the 19th of April 2021. I'm Head of Research, Nick Goodall, and I'm joined by our Senior Property Economist, Calvin Davidson, down in Christchurch. Calvin, how you going, mate? Big uh, big road trip over the weekend, eh? Yeah, well,
1: it was, yeah, it was cool, actually. Bought a new camper van down from Auckland to Christchurch for my mother-in-law, so that was, that was really good. You know, driving through the North Island, the scenery is awesome, and um, my dad came along for the ride, so... Good sort of father and son bonding time you know with within the confines of the camper van so it was it was actually really good um a lot of driving, I and mean, i'm glad that uh, i don't have to drive she, she lives in southland so glad that i don't have to drive it down there today because that would be another sort of 50 percent again so it's it was it was pretty cool camper vans are also gee, the technology in there and, and comes at a cost mind you but um but pretty cool and and yeah great to do it with my dad in the cab so it was, it was awesome and um yeah but tired but uh
0: set for work how about you yeah, very good, mate. Very exciting, especially, like you're saying, many people going towards buying those camper vans and motorhomes these days, uh, especially given domestic tourism. And my mum's currently in the South Island and their one as well. So, yeah, very, very fun things. You're absolutely right. The technology in them is pretty cool. Mate, my weekend was good, um, pretty intense. Obviously, I was uh, solo parenting for the weekend. My uh, wife had a well-deserved breakup in Auckland. So, uh, you know, that was that was really awesome for her. And uh, so I had all three kids to myself. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was good. The kids were really well-behaved. Um, but you know, it's still pretty, pretty intense work. Constantly sorting out all three of them and and, and whatnot too. So uh, yeah, that no, was it. Was a good weekend though, uh, very well managed. And um, now, of course, it's school holiday, so I've actually got my daughter Heidi with me in the room. She's got her headphones on and her tablet, so I was going to ask her to say hi, but she doesn't seem too interested to claim any fame just yet. So uh, we'll leave we'll leave her to her her tablet this morning.
1: Yeah, uh, fair enough. Uh, we might get a wee interjection here and there. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I'm prepared for that. We'll wait and see. Um, All good, mate. Well, let's kick into it then. And um, obviously the first bit of key data from last week was our our CoreLogic logic bioclassification data. I know we touched on it last week, but you ended up writing the the full article on it. The key strength, of course, being those uh, multiple property owners. Um, And then I suppose your main point from the article was the fact that we expect that activity to start to slow down now, which I suppose we've been talking about for a while now. But was there anything else you wanted to pull out from that article? Yeah, well, I just I mean that was the headline, of course, that
1: the mortgaged investors retained a. We're sort of calling it a sustained peak. A hat trick came through in the social media of, of of record highs, pretty much for market share. So that was one thing, driven by those smaller investors again. You know that those people have just maybe bought their first investment property or already had one or two already. Definitely towards that smaller end. Um, but I think yeah, now from now on, it's about I guess what happens next, and and we may not see it come through in the data for for a month or two, but. Yeah, those, those LVR rules, of course, have tightened. And then so that's going to make it harder for those mortgaged investors. Signs that's already biting in the mortgage lending figures anyway, uh, already. And um, yeah, as well as obviously the government changes making uh, buying existing properties less attractive, for, for, especially for those investors with with high mortgages. So, you know, pretty sure that share will fall. And we certainly saw it uh, last time at the end of 2016 and 2017 when the when investors needed that 40% deposit we saw the share fall away pretty sharply and, and quite immediately as well. So I think that we're always probably expecting that anyway. So this this may well be the, the high watermark, and I guess now it's,
0: it's where it goes from here. Yeah, exactly right, yeah. And I think, like you say, it was, we were expecting it anyway. Now it's just a different factor that's going to influence their, their activity or their behaviour. Um, and then, of course, once it does hit 1st of May, and they definitely will be, you know, restricted in their activity as well. So, um, yeah, we'll certainly wait and watch on that one. But uh, yeah, that strength was certainly right up to the end of March from the from the latest data that we saw, anyway. Um, moving on then, mate. I thought let's uh, recap some of the Reserve Bank activity last week. Of course, they did release their latest sort of monetary policy information around the official cash rate, um, and I th- also thought I might touch on what you mentioned last week in terms of their financial strength dashboard for what's happening with sort of people's mortgage payments. So, uh, what's your sort of recap on on the activity from the Reserve Bank last week?
1: Yeah, well, it's a funny one with the Reserve Bank, I suppose. The, the activity in a sense, they they actually didn't do anything. Um, so that that's uh, sort of uh, you know the the, the key word here, they, they actually probably didn't do a lot, but again, it's about the what they said and didn't say. Um, so they kept the OCR official cash rate at 0.25 and also retained the uh, the large scale asset purchase program at its same size, 100 billion. And that funding for lending program is still kind of taking away in the background. So nothing really changed in terms of the official settings. Um, but, but I think that whole sense that the government's now stepped into the housing market and probably going to curb that investment demand, may if anything take some pressure off the Reserve Bank, uh, suggests that you know, they can just focus on that monetary policy thing and keeping the OCR low, which is all about sustaining the economy. That that's seems to be their key idea at the moment, or their key aim. So that implies you know, lower for longer mortgage rates, probably the official cash rate staying low. So that's sort of the property market implication. And yeah, it, it, the margins, I guess now the government stepped in in terms, especially those restrictions on investors, maybe we don't see the Reserve Bank feeling as rushed to push through caps on interest only lending and, and maybe the debt to income ratios as well. So I think it probably gives them more time in terms of any financial stability concerns in regards to the property market, but also yeah, it makes their job a little bit easier on the monetary policy side too. So it, yeah, it's, there's, a, there's a lot going on, even if they did nothing.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think that's, you know, you sort of reiterated it there a couple of times, but I think that's the key thing for me. There's now less need for the Reserve Bank to weigh in from a housing market perspective, which is what they were kind of being, you know, dictated to from um, the government previously about, you know, needing to be more considerate of what impact monetary policy has on the property market. Now they can kind of step back and go, actually, because you guys have done this, which should have an impact itself, which is the, you know, deductibility changes mostly, there's probably less need, and certainly there's a, there's a situation where bank can step back and, and just wait and see how that um, sort of flows through the market before they you know do anything else. And that's the main one we we're expecting was of course, the, the restrictions on just only lending, which looks very unlikely now, um, certainly in the next couple of months anyway. And so I think that's, that's probably got to be the key point here. They can just wait and see. And then, like you say, the flip side of that, of course, means there's less pressure on that OCR to have to lift um, because I think one of the factors, factors that we, people were thinking was that the OCL needs to lift because of this strong housing market um, and the influence that has on lending, of course. So that's less pressure on that lifting in the nearer future, which again, like you said, kind of flow through those mortgage interest rates staying lower for longer. Um, so then for those people already in the market, once again, they're um, they're sitting pretty and knowing that you know they're not going to have a, a significant lift in those fixed interest rates coming up anytime soon. So that's really the key, key outtake there, I think. Um, and, yeah, so and,
1: the- and of course, there are other influences on mortgage rates, not just the OCR, of course. But, um, but yeah, it, 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 it certainly adds to that sense that it reinforces the lower for longer scenario. I guess we can't necessarily control what happens offshore with those wholesale rates. And, but then you'd have to look at that and say, well, given ongoing economic problems around the world, there's not going to be much pressure on, on mortgage rate or, or wholesale interest rates offshore either. So yeah, I think at the margins, it
0: re- reinforces lower for longer. Yeah, exactly. And I think that another side of it, of course, is that the government uh, sorry, the governor has talked so much about needing to continue to stimulate in the economy, you know, we're not back to normality. And you know, that the long um, the LSAP. The OCR and stuff—they're going to stay where they're at because we need to continue to to assist those businesses who are still, of course, struggling without full international tourism. Yes, the bubble has sort of burst today in terms of that quarantine-free travel between New Zealand and Australia. But that's only going to make up, you know, part of the reliance that we have on international tourists. And so, you know, those businesses are still going to need that 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 assistance, um, and the economy, likewise. So, yeah, good 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 take on that one. Um, and from the financial strength dashboard, you were looking at the, the, the mortgage payment. Data from there. Um, any, any surprises, or just as you're expecting last week? No, no surprises at all. So this was there's a lot, there's a, I mean, there's a,
1: a lot of information in there. But the one that I tend to pick out is the non-performing loans ratio, which I think we talked about last week, sort of previewed there. And so this is this is loans where people are either 90 days behind, or it's moved through to the fully impaired stage where the banks don't think. That they're actually going to see any or some of that principal or interest repayment. So they have to be at least ninety days overdue, and then it's just about where the bank puts it in terms of their buckets. But so it's really about loan repayment problems, and across all of the banks that they've got in that dashboard uh, or all the banks, you know, that come under the Reserve Bank regulatory rules, the non-performing loans ratio for housing was less. It was about half percent or less across their entire loan books for all of those banks. So pretty much nobody's in real loan stress uh and obviously not great for those people that are because there is a there is a handful but across, from a macroeconomic point of view or a sector-wide banking perspective those figures are very very low so pretty much no in, in repayment pool. and yeah another sort of indicator of, of where we've come to very different than what people might have thought six or nine months ago key thing is what happens in say 18 months to two years if and when we do see rates rise. But, but that could be something to worry about down the track. And of course, the bank's very keen to avoid the problems that come with that. So even if and when rates start to rise, you know, there'll still be, I would say, still a lot of desire on all parts to, to keep those those troubled loans low and, and keep kind of
0: mortgage sales low. So
1: yeah, another a good indicator for now.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Like I said, I think the key thing is going to be what impact raising uh, interest rates and also if there is going to still continue to be problems from an employment perspective or unemployment perspective and businesses you know, still struggling. And this sort of anecdotal evidence continues to be out there where, you know, we are hearing about businesses that are just struggling to hold on. And it's going to really depend on when these borders fully open, which is probably more reliant on, you know, the vaccination schedule speeding up at some stage as well. So, you know, there's still some reasons to be cautious in terms of the future. But in general, from an unemployment perspective, I think most people accepting now that we've kind of gone past the peak unemployment rate um, because of COVID-19 and things are starting to track downwards. So, yes, we're going to hear about you know, some people losing their jobs and some businesses going under but not at a rate that's going to take that you know r- ridiculously high which has such a negative flow on effect and, and that definitely would flow through to things like people not being able to pay their mortgage payments so that's of what we're looking for in the future but i think you're right that actually maybe it's the, the interest rates that are going to be the key one to watch for yeah i have to wait and see yeah exactly all right mate well i'm um, sticking a bit closer to the property market then of course the real Estate institute released their data for march last week um I think you know overall again you know as we expected strong activity in terms of number of sales. Reduced days to sell, so it's showing it's a pretty hot market still, leading it to the end of March. Index showing further growth, really underlining our earlier release regarding that momentum in the market. And I think that's really the key thing here that all of the data we've already spoken about today and probably will continue to just shows that momentum right to the end of March. But of course, we sort of feel like that is the potential tipping point. Not that it's going to go negative necessarily, but a potential change where we see that slowdown start to occur. Um you know, the times, they are changing. Is there anything else you sort of picked up from that, from that Ryan's data, Calvin?
1: Not much to add on that, really. No,
0: I think just uh,
1: if, if people are looking at it from an analytical point of view, uh, annual changes will get pretty pretty funky over the next little while. And, and when we saw there was a big jump in terms of the annual growth in sales in March. But, of course, that was going to happen because if you think that, we lost that last week of, of activity and in March last year so to any economic or property series at the moment in terms of activity if if you're looking year on year there's going to be some pretty funky changes going on so I guess be careful of anybody reporting you know a a huge spike in in activity year on year because it's of course going to happen because you're coming off a low base so so yeah that would be uh, the only thing I'd add to that.
0: Yeah, great call. And speaking of which, I think, you know, the New Zealand Activity Index was also released last week. This is, of course, the sort of prelim measure of what GDP might be doing on a month-on-month basis, though. Um, And I was pretty shocked to see, initially anyway, to see it was this massive 7.4% jump compared to March 2020. But of course, as you say, that month and now for the next couple of months, any year-on-year comparisons are pretty much almost useless because of the fact that we're in lockdown um, and so, you know, when it comes to now hoping, and this is what we were talking about last week, I think, was, you know, using this New Zealand Activity Index to predict the Q1 GDP figure, um, you know, what you what need to know is what the change was from Q4 to Q1 to know if we're actually in that typical, or in that, in that uh, nominal recession. Not that it particularly matters, um, you know, in terms of it is what it is, if we're in recession or not. But it will be sure to lead a few media headlines if it does technically happen so i suppose that's why we're we're interested because then you get lots of questions about what does it mean how's it going to flow through as well so i think that's a good good illustration of um you know that that, that problem now with comparing year on year um was there anything else i know that you obviously tracked that activity index as well was it pretty much your take as well
1: yeah oh definitely yeah it's a little bit the same i kind of forgotten about the year on yet just at that moment when i looking at that it's like hey what's going on here and then oh yeah it's, it's an annual comparison but yeah it's unfortunately I, I did have a quick dig around and I don't think they provide anywhere the actual index and I think that's probably partly to do with the fact that you know it's seven or eight composite measures and that they, they have all different bases and ways of measuring it so I don't even know if they actually sort of do an index or they just do a weighted annual growth figure or something and that's all they provide. I'm not exactly sure about that but I did have a look around and you can't get that index to allow you to do the Q on Q change for example uh, and they don't actually provide that either. So there's yeah, it's a little bit unfortunate. it might mean the measure is a little bit less useful. Um, you could probably cobble together something you know assume what your base was and, and sort of figure it out but it's not it's not ideal. and um,
0: so yeah anyway, it's just another example of, of year on years at the moment. They're going to start looking pretty weird. Yeah, agreed. Now nah, cool. Um, yeah, moving on then, next piece of data, because it was a pretty massive data week last <laughs> week. Um, rental data. And obviously pretty key questions on this and, and a lot of focus going on it. Again, it's kind of going to draw this line in the sand as to where we're coming from, but we'll certainly watch for the future. The one thing I wanted to just touch on with the rental data, because I presented on Friday, and there's a question about someone asking the differences between new and existing tenancies, and whether, depending on the measure you use, whether that's going to show or not show, where we're talking about, you know, landlords being able to adjust their rent to account for some of the increase in costs over time. So I just want to sort of touch on some of the detail there. I know you've been looking at this in the last couple of months because of, you know, changes in the way that EMDR are doing their data, Um, you know, the Stats New Zealand Rental Index. There's sort of a lot to take in here. So I thought, do you want to just give us a quick overview of the sort of rental data situation and what we're looking for and how we're going to track to see what is actually going to change as we move through um, the next couple of months but also how we've used that data to do an assessment about whether we do think that you know costs are um, influencing rents or if it is is influenced by uh, income more so yeah do you want to give us a take on
1: that yes oh there's a lot in there so I think just touching on the latest figures, these are the Stats New Zealand Rental Price Index that we've we sort of switched to because it's uh, the the kind of smoothest I suppose in terms of methodology and and the most comprehensive, um, and and so it showed that across all existing tenancies, rents are up about three percent year on year in March. Again, now um, the year on year comparison I have to be a little bit careful there. I don't think in a price measure it's as as uh, as much a problem as an activity measure. So I think we're probably OK there. Stock of rents was up 3% or 3.1% and the new tenancies lodged in March were, were up one6 So I think you know there's still not much sign there of, of rental pressure. Now, of course, it's predated the, the latest government changes. So again, it's probably setting that starting point. We have to wait and see how things move from here. So that's the first thing, I guess, on the measure that we're now kind of tracking. It's all business as usual, pretty much, in terms of rental growth. The MB stuff, now that covers new bonds lodged. So then there's been a methodology change there, which we've talked about. And I guess, you know, it just makes the numbers a little bit, the the first uh, one or two reads on those numbers a little bit less reliable. So only after they've been published for about two or three months, it feels like the sample will be big enough to give you a kind of reliable and, and, and comprehensive measure. And just as an illustration, I think originally the, the year-on-year comparison for the December bonds lodge numbers came in about seven, sort of eight percent. Now that that I think there are a few media stories written about that at the time as, as the signs of of you know rents really spiking, making it harder for, for tenants. Um, now that's been revised down subsequently, you know, given we're two or three months later now to about four percent growth. So I think it does show that the the in initial reading. On the bonds lodge figures from remember you need to sort of just be a little bit careful about wait two or three months and then see where it ends up and, and those initial stories of sharp acceleration and rents have, have now been revised revised away pretty much and at four percent you know you're back to kind of where it has been for quite a while so i think that's the other thing there. Need to be careful about those MB1s. And um, yeah, in terms of how we've used the figures to sort of come to our conclusion, our sort of cautious view about the fact that, or the suggestion that rents will spike, we're kind of coming down the other way and thinking they are less likely to spike. And that's because if you look back historically, really rental growth if on our series that we're looking at has, has been more modest, running about 3% and tending to be in line with income. So picking up on that idea that Really, what tenants can afford to pay is simply what they earn. They don't benefit from a fall in mortgage rates, for example, like a homeowner might do. So that's that's one thing. And um, yeah, we we'll have to see how it plays out. But we also just just this idea that that really in landlords, if you've got a good tenant, you want to run the risk of losing them by by sticking out rents, you know, over and above what might be sort of normal or acceptable and run the risk of a vacancy, which actually cost you more probably than, than what you might benefit through the rent rise. So I think, um, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a big wrap up there. But I think we're, you know, to, to, to generalise or put it into bigger picture terms, we are kind of pretty cautious about that idea that the rents will spike over and above what they might have
0: grown by anyway because of this policy change. But we'll, yeah, we'll have to wait and see. That's a good summary. And I think, yeah, the key point at the end there has to be, we're not saying rents aren't going to increase. You know they will increase, much like they have done over the last ten years. Um, but we don't expect them to spike. And that doesn't also mean that we don't think that some landlords will adjust their their um, rental figures up. You know, plenty will. But is it enough from a macro perspective that will actually influence the overall data? I'm still not sure on that one. Um, i be interested to see where this goes in the future, though, because you know we have talked about. Um, You know, the previous changes, whether it's healthy homes or ring fencing of tax losses or not being able to depreciate the asset, you know, those are probably smaller than this change is when this change is fully in play, but that's like five years away. So I think that's the key thing for me that, yes, we might see a little bit of a change and, you know, that landlords do have to try and recoup some of that costs because it is a significant change in five years' time. So I think there's a few caveats that we're going to put on that one, that yes, there'll be times where landlords are going, I've been charging under market, I need to bring it up, so I'm going to do it. And also some of the feedback that we've had is actually, it's not just about getting the cost back, but landlords saying that they're just not sure what's coming in the future. You know, they feel like they're under attack from this government. If they get an opportunity to raise their rent, they're going to do it now because you never know what might come in the future. And there's been talk about rent controls and all this sort of stuff, which I truly don't think will happen, most of the evidence seems so strong against rent controls actually doing what they're supposed to, they have much more negative effect, I just don't think we'd go down that path, but I can understand the sentiment from landlords going, you know what, there's just too much going on, I'm not sure what's going to happen next month that could impact my my turnover, my revenue. And so I am going to raise those rents when I get an opportunity to. But it's also worth noting that, you know, they can only do so once a year now, according to the most recent change in legislation. We also did need to acknowledge that there was a bit of a rent freeze on because of COVID at this time last year. And so, you know, you couldn't raise your rents for a certain period of time. Um, And some people might be paying a little bit of catch up on that now as well. So there are a number of different things which are going to sort of stuff with the data to some degree. But in general, our position still remains that, rental prices are more tied to income than they are to landlord costs. And so we don't expect a massive spike to come as a result of this. And I think that's that's kind of where we got to at the end of it. Um, but it is always interesting just to continue to hear those stories because, yeah, it's certainly not um, fully clear, I don't think, and, and as much evidence as we think we've got, I don't think we can you know sit here and uh, expect to forecast absolutely everything and expect to forecast what's going to happen because we do believe this is, is quite a bold change once it's fully implemented. So, yeah, we'll... we'll um, We'll leave it there but i think it's a good take on the overall situation when it comes to rents where they have come from and where they're likely to go to in the future cool um okay mate well i think we should be getting to most of the data i think this week uh, one of the other ones i think is probably migration data but we'll probably you know again there's not too much to talk about here we'll be once again like everything today it's kind of wait and see where things go because the bubble's half open now um but overall where was the migration data at calvin
1: oh well in a nutshell still very low Probably the most interesting aspect to pull out of the, and Stats highlighted this, was that for the first time since the 1970s, we've actually had a net outflow of of non-citizens. So in other words, kind of, yeah, the non-citizen balance has turned negative and that hasn't been seen since the 1970s. So pretty much for however long that is, 40 years, we've been, our population growth has been boosted by non-citizen migration or people coming to New Zealand for the first time. Now that's turned around and gone negative. So that's a bit of a change. I mean, no surprises, but yeah, interesting set in the stats. And I guess in terms of the property implications, you know, low migration flows have, have dampened population growth now for sure. So so property demand would be low or is lower than it otherwise might have been. But, um, you know, where it goes from now, well, who, who knows, obviously, but I, I would be optimistic, or, or if that's the right word, I, I would suspect that net migration will return when when the borders are kind of fully open. So that will
0: restore property demand to some degree. So that's really the thing to watch for, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Good call. Um, okay, mate, I was just thinking about anything else that was sort of out there. And I'll, I will quickly run over the early market indicators data as well just before we get out of here. But the thing I was going to note was just that um, last week there was a bit of coverage of the total value of residential property. and how it increased by $200 billion in the last year. I just thought it's worth noting that that data does come from CoreLogic, but it is reported through the Reserve Bank website. So it's a report. That we put together, or data that we put together, we sent to Reserve Bank and they published through their their usual sort of statistics as well. So um, just sort of make sure that there's a good reference to to the fact that that's ours. And the other thing I was going to talk about before we got out of here was just that there was a special edition um, podcast for CoreLogic recorded last week. It didn't feature either of us. Um, but of course, I saw it going through in the edit process. And so that should hopefully hit in the next couple of days. But that's uh, Richard Deacon, is our insurance specialist here. He has been on the podcast before, talk to, talking to uh, Dr. George McGregor, um, who's based in Australia, just about you know the cost and, and how those insurance calculators work and things. So well worth a listen once that one drops as well. So keep an eye out for that one. Um, but before we get out of here, um, in terms of early market indicators, I had a quick look at these last night you know, for the, uh, the valuations data. I've probably never seen a line so flat. Um, So there's some definite consistency in those valuations being ordered through the banks since Easter. I'd call it the fact that demand has essentially been maintained. Um, So we haven't seen a massive drop away in people going to the bank and, and ordering those valuations to support mortgage lending just yet. Um, but it is at a level that's much lower than we've seen the last few months as well. So I think it's a it's a consistent level of demand that isn't as much as it was before, but it's certainly not dropping off a cliff just yet. And then meanwhile, appraisals have actually tailed off after they did bounce back from Easter. So, you know, from that perspective, I suppose what we're looking for is to see is there going to be a big spike in people listing their property. Um, certainly no signs of, of those listings likely flooding the market just yet either. So uh, one to watch for, but certainly no signs of that just yet in terms of um What's coming up? I uh, did film the monthly video last week. So it should be published in the next couple of days as well. And I think, you know, the overall here, the overall you know, good thing about the, the video, nice little tidy summary of what's sort of happened in the last month, things we've been speaking about, of course, with the great looking visuals to boost. So uh, please do go and check that out on YouTube or on all the, the uh, social media channels as well. And then just a heads up, of course, next week is uh, that we be Anzac Day or Anzac Day Observed on Monday. So we won't be recording the podcast then. I'm off to Invercargill. For the long weekend, um, so we'll be off on Friday right through to Tuesday. So it's likely that Calvin's going to do a short little solo uh, record for the podcast. But there's no major data releases this week, so probably just depend on what's hit the headlines and Calvin's just take on what sort of what is out there. It might be a slightly shorter podcast next week, so uh, that'll be over to you, mate. So um, anything else you're looking forward to, or anything you want to preempt before that that solo effort next week, mate, or anything else I missed today?
1: Yeah, I think I'll just have to get inventive on that podcast. Maybe jump in my soapbox about a few uh, things that uh, annoy me from time to time, but also keep my name in lights because I everyone, Mr. Deacon, um, stealing my job. So, so uh, yeah, I have to have to have to keep that one up there. Um, but I can certainly preview the week ahead, of course. So that will that will probably be the focus. But yeah, um, I don't know. At some point, it feels like we need to move on from these government regulations, but gee, yeah, they keep coming back, don't they? So. And I think we're just—I guess everybody are waiting to see what how it comes out in the data, and
0: and uh, we have to wait for that as well. But yeah, never a dull moment. Like you say, we're going to try and move on, but then as soon as we get April data, which is in a week or two, you know, a couple of weeks time, then it's all going to be—you know—April's the first view of what's happened since the market changes, and so again, we're going to be harking back to it. So it's going to be hard to to move away completely. But um, yep, yeah, now all good, mate. Well, I will leave it there, and um, just want to round it out and th- say, you know, thanks again once for once again for all your thoughts. Uh, thank you very much for listening. Please do subscribe, hit that auto download button, and get in touch with us too. Always leave our Twitter, LinkedIn, and email details within the uh, podcast player. So do go and uh, get in touch with us. Otherwise, my name's Nick. He's Calvin. You've been listening to the New Zealand Property Market Podcast. Mā te wa.